Back in 1953, Marlon Brando starred in a film called The Wild One. It was a movie about motorcycle gangs. Something in that movie, though, triggered a really big change in our culture, something that we still see today. It did not have to do with the motorcycles, though. We'll come back to that here in just a moment. I want to make clear, I do not believe in living in any type of fear, though we live in a culture of fear. I believe part of being a follower follower of Christ is to stand strong, stand on the truth, live with courage, and opposite of the fear, confusion we see in the world. I believe a lot of that fear manufactured to keep people stressed out, overwhelmed, and not being able to see clearly, because when you see clearly and see things as they are, then you can see them better than they are, and then make them as you see them. So we're going to look at some things today about culture, the fear, and how to stand strong no matter what's taking place across the nation, in the media, maybe even in our own lives in certain places. When I was in the Marine Corps, Monica and I, we spent some time in Japan. One day there was a, a minister visiting the church and he gave a sermon and he was a chaplain and he gave a, a sermon that was scriptural, inspiring. When he finished, though, he said it's interesting to be here giving this message. And he said, the reason is, you know, I'm a chaplain and I give messages every week. But why it's interesting is because I've been a chaplain for 14 years. And for 10 of those years, I didn't believe anything that I just said. He said, the reality is I took a job, I got paid for it, and I didn't believe anything that I taught. He said, fortunately, God saved me out of that selfishness, gave me life in Christ, and now, he said, I preach as a believer. The reality is, though, there are many people that simply are going through the motions, not really living their faith, maybe not even convinced about their faith. And the reality is we're going to see how there are consequences to our actions, consequences to what's taking place in culture, and the need for men and women in Christ to stand strong on their faith in the face of any obstacles. The reality is though we live in a culture where people are negative. Tony Robbins, he says it very well when he states, when you give your gift to the world, negative people don't want to see you happy because they are not happy. When people step out and serve and they reach their goals, or they try to show the life in Christ, many negative people kind of come along and try to, try to overshadow that with their negativity. The reality is we're going to see some things here in Scripture, show us how we can stand strong, live in that joy unspeakable. The world can't take away. Circumstances can't take away. So let's start with something said about Moses here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, Moses being described here, tremendous faith, stood up against an entire country, up against the Pharaoh. How did he do that? Hebrews 11:27 tells us how. Moses endured as seeing him who was unseen. Moses endured seeing him who was unseen. The reality is the same truth for Moses is true for our lives. How do we live in faith? How do we live with integrity and character and courage in a confused world? Because we see him who is unseen. And when we see him who is unseen Christ, 
we say, you know what, because of that, I can see everything else much more clearly. We're going to see examples of how much that is needed here in our culture today. Brings us back to this movie here from 1953, Marlon Brando. Here's a picture of Marlon Brando. Shows what changed our culture. Here he is in this picture in the movie scene, simply wearing a t-shirt. Before this movie, t-shirts were simply a shirt you wore under a dress shirt. Marlon Brando, though, appeared on screen in just a t-shirt. What happened the next day? T-shirts sold out across the country. And the next day after that, men all across the U.S. walked around in a t-shirt. Now, we do that today, and it's common, and it's normal. Where did that change take place? From a movie in 1953. Does media have an impact on people's lives? Well, simply ask, what's the average cost of a Super Bowl ad? This year, the estimated average cost, $5 million. Companies don't spend money for nothing. They understand the power of advertising. They understand the power of media. They understand how it influences people. And we're going to see how that is often used in very unfortunate ways and how we can say, you know what? I live my life seeing the one who is unseen. And because I see Christ, I see everything else much more clearly. There's a famous story from the 80s about Roy Wettstein. He had this sort of dream moment people imagine where you go into a pawn shop or a garage sale and for a few dollars find that item that's really worth millions. Roy Whetstone collected stones and he went to a gem show, people selling all sorts of things. He believed he found something that was valuable and he liked to brag that the man had a stone for $15, and he said, I'll buy it to you, buy it from you for $10. And when he left, Roy took that stone to an appraiser who told him that stone was worth over $2 million. Overnight, he was on TV, he was on magazine covers in the coming days, he was all across the media because he had that dream story people imagine if I could just find that item nobody recognizes, $10, now over $2 million. And the whole world said, what a lucky person. A few weeks later, though, some other experts came along and said that man who appraised that stone that you imagine might be a, a rare sapphire, they said it's not so rare. It's certainly interesting, but at most, probably worth a few hundred dollars. Roy, of course, was not pleased about that and very upset, but the reality is, what a metaphor, again, where people think, here's the value, and how quickly that value can disappear and simply vanish, which is why, like Moses, our life needs to be grounded on that which loses no value, that which is eternal, that which is true, seeing the unseen, he who was unseen, and seeing everything else much more clearly. S.D. Gordon, a theologian from the 1800s, lived into the 1900s, said this, Prayer is insisting upon Jesus' victory and the retreat of the enemy on each particular spot. The enemy yields only what he must. He yields only what is taken.
Therefore, prayer must be persistent. So we're going to take some examples and see how true that is here. In just a few moments, the enemy yields only what is taken. Before we talk about that, though, let's look at something here in Luke chapter 1 about overcoming the enemy. Luke chapter 1, just one verse, verse 74. At this point in the Gospel of Luke, Zechariah and his wife, they had been told they were going to have a child, John the Baptist. And Zechariah didn't believe that. He knew the story, similar story to Abraham and Sarah. He also did not believe it. And because he didn't believe it, the angel said, because you doubt, your mouth will be stopped. And so he became mute. And then nine months later, John the Baptist is born. And at that moment, his tongue is loosed. He sees the miracle come to fruition. And then he has this prayer. And Zechariah was a priest in the temple. And now that he sees the miracle come to pass, that John the Baptist has been born, which means then the Messiah is soon to be born as well, he has this prayer to God to say thank you. And here's this part of the prayer, verse 74. Grants us, God, that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve without fear. Zechariah's prayer is, God, you have rescued us from the enemy, therefore we serve you without fear. Living in a culture of fear, living in a culture of confusion, we say, I live by seeing him who is unseen, and I know that he has delivered me from the enemy, so I live without fear. We're going to see examples of people doing that. Let them be examples to inspire us to do the same. Let's start with this gentleman here. His name is Michael Medved. He was a movie critic, very popular movie critic, but he did something that was taboo. He pulled back the curtain of what goes on behind the scenes. And just like in Oz, Dorothy pulls back the curtain. The wizard is nothing but this little man with a megaphone. Michael Medved shared being a movie critic he and some other critics were invited to an early screening of a movie years back, and this movie was designed to mock the life of Jesus. He said, we sat down and watched this movie. It wasn't just that it was offensive. He said it was just a really bad movie. In fact, he said, during the movie, other critics in the room laughed. It was so bad. When it came to an end, we all walked out and said, that movie is garbage. To his surprise, the next day, though, in the newspapers these other critics worked for, they gave glowing reviews called the movie Brilliant, Groundbreaking. Medved confronted those critics, said, Listen, I was in that room with you. You know that movie is garbage just from a standpoint, not just offensive, but a terrible film. Why did you lie after we all said how bad it was? And the critics told him, listen, I'm not here to make waves with movie producers in Hollywood and lose my job. And also, I really don't care what the Christians think. Medved published this in his book, Hollywood versus America, which put him even more on the outs of that circle. Today, he's a conservative writer, and radio host. But again, serving without fear, 
because we understand who has destroyed the enemy. An anonymous person years ago had said, what is tolerated today becomes accepted tomorrow. Let's take a look at some examples of why that is so dangerous. Bob Pittman founded MTV. When it was founded, quickly became the most popular station, impacting culture and still does today. He very publicly, though, said the following. Critics talking about the, the things they saw on MTV that were offensive, impacting their kids. And here's what Bob Pittman said. At MTV, we don't shoot for the 14-year-olds. We own them. He then went on to mock parents. How has his influence, people like him, impacted culture? Again, very profoundly in many ways, unfortunate. That's why, again, what's the average Super Bowl ad cost? $5 million. People understand the power of that medium. 1800s, Arnold Toynbee was born, lived until 1975, became a historian and a professor, studying history over centuries. 1970, he made this comment about our culture. Of the 22 civilizations appearing on the stage of world history, 19 of them collapsed when they reached the present moral condition of the United States. How different we are even today. What continues to bring hope to our country, though, are men and women in Christ who say, I see the unseen, and I live from that standpoint, and I see things more clearly, and I know the enemy's been defeated, so I serve without fear. Look at something else in our culture. Probably seen this on the news lately. Opioid doctors and lawsuits. A few years ago, a company called Suboxone put out what they claimed would be a prescription drug that could break addiction for people that are addicted to heroin. It's a very difficult addiction to break. And the idea was they could be given Suboxone and they would be free from the heroin and then they would be taken off the prescription and they could move on with their lives. The reality is though, Suboxone has proved to be as addictive, some say more addictive than heroin. What happens when companies put out so-called prescriptions and the danger that is inherent in their dishonesty Leads me to this quote here, another anonymous one, which says, We live in a time where Satan doesn't even hide anymore, and you still don't see him. We live again in a culture of fear. I do not believe in living in fear. I believe in living with courage and strength and truth and standing on that truth in the middle of whatever opposition is there because we say, I serve Christ without fear, because in Him I know the truth, and I live in that truth. Jeff Streit wrote this about our confession in Christ, writing specifically about those first few centuries 
where confessing Christ could literally mean you would be thrown to the lions. Moving into the 6th century, when Islam began to spread and much violence there, and people that were confessing Christ, may we be challenged to stand more boldly in our day. Here's Jeff Streit. When you said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, you were saying something very dramatic. You declared, I'm not an atheist who says God doesn't exist. I'm not an agnostic who says, I don't know if God exists. When you said you believe that Jesus was the Son of the living God, you were declaring, I'm not an idolater who worships images made of wood, stone, or gold. When you said you believe that Jesus was the Son of the living God, you declared, I'm not a polytheist who says there are many gods. When you said you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you were saying you were not a pantheist that says all is God, not a deist, not a modernist who denies the virgin birth. When you said you believe Jesus was the Christ, you declared, I'm not an unbelieving Jew who denies Jesus is Messiah. And when you said you believe in Jesus, you're not saying your faith was in anyone else but Him. It's not in Buddha, it's not in Confucius, not in Muhammad, not in Reverend Moon. When you said, I believe, you said, I accept the Scripture because faith in Jesus is the direct result of the testimony of Scripture. And when you said, I believe, you were declaring yours was a personal faith. It wasn't inherited. It wasn't forced upon you, but it was fully confessed. And when you spoke the good confession, you drew a line in the sand and you declared that everyone outside of Jesus was wrong. And you declared to the world that unless they turn from their sin and accept Christ as their Savior, make Him the master of their lives, and are buried in the waters of Christian baptism, they will be condemned, and that often was not received well. As we talked last week in that first century, some of those emperors began to declare themselves God, or the Son of God, which is why in Scripture there is such a bold declaration by the apostles, there is one unique Son of God. Saying that in that culture could and did cost you your life. How do we live today in our culture where those dangers don't exist? We fear rejection. We fear what the culture is doing. And we say no more. Rather, we stand, grant us God. He's rescued us from the hand of our enemy. That we might serve without fear, as Zachariah said. What does that look like to serve without fear? Ed Young shares about a friend, a couple, their daughter started dating this young man, and they said he's a bad influence. She ran away with this young man. Disappeared for nine long years. During that time, letters never came. Phone calls never happened. She fell on hard times, and despite the parents trying to search for her, they couldn't find her. All the challenges they worried about became reality from this young man, his bad influence. Finally, after nine long years losing it all, like the prodigal son, she said, maybe, maybe I can go back home. She found herself at her streets, but it was midnight. 
She walked close to the house. She thought something must be wrong. The porch light was on. She pulled on the doorknob. The lock was not locked. Worried, she rushed in. Silence in the house. Searched the rooms. Found her parents sleeping. She woke them up. She said there was joy. There were tears. Hugs. She then said to her parents, you know, when you went to bed, though, you forgot to put out the light. You forgot to lock the door. This is her mother's reply. We didn't forget. Every night for the last nine years, that light has been burning and that door has been unlocked, ready for the time when you would come home to us. You see, that's something only Christ can do. That's something only His faith, His strength, working in us, through us, can accomplish. That's why we need to, like Zachariah say, I know He has delivered me from the enemy, therefore I serve without fear. Or like Hebrews 11, again, Moses endured as seeing Him who was unseen. So I want to close with this gentleman here, another person who served seeing him who is unseen in a culture, hopefully, again, somebody else to inspire us to stand strong. This is Kirk Cameron. Most know him, star of Growing Pains. At the time, one of the most famous actors in the world. He would write about that time. I drove around in bulletproof limousines because stalkers would come after me. I flew around in Lear jets because dignitaries wanted me to play tennis with their daughters. And he says I was an atheist. One day, though, a friend invited him to church. He went, listened to the message, said I need to know more about this Jesus, began to study, gave his life to Christ. And when he did, he went back to the TV producers and said, I can't do the same scenes I used to do. I can't talk the way I used to talk. And they were upset and said, you know, we have to change everybody's life, writers, actors, the whole script. He was willing to walk away. He said the media got a hold of this, that he had this newfound faith. And here's what he writes. Kirk Cameron, they said, goes off the religious deep end. Actuality, he says, was nothing more than a 17-year-old kid finding something worth more than all the celebrity in the world and wanting his life to be a living thank you to the God who had saved him from hell and adopted him into his own family. Today, he's an author, producer, makes films about faith, standing up for truth, wanting to see the culture changed, our country come back to faith in God. I close with a quote. May his statement here become inspirational, but more than that, may it become something we live to obtain as well. Today, my default position is not to be an actor. My default position is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I can honestly say that of everything I have, of everything I've experienced, nothing compares to the joy of knowing Christ because I've been given a glimpse of heaven and it outshines all the rest. Amen.